TikTok is one of the most phenomenal consumer stories of all time. Seemingly coming out of nowhere, TikTok has made an absolute splash in US culture over the past year. But the start of TikTok is a more deep-rooted story in the way consumer social products have been evolving over the past decade. In this conversation, I chatted with Turner Novak, general partner at Gelt VC, on all things consumer social. Turner is one of my favorite sources of knowledge on what's going on in consumer today. He has a deep perspective on international social products and how they translate in the US. In this conversation, we dove deep into the history of consumer social, how TikTok differentiates from other products from a front-end and a back-end perspective, what Turner thinks about Facebook Reels, the impending potential TikTok and Microsoft merger, and what are future business models that are byproducts of social that Turner is excited to see. Turner, welcome, and thanks so much for joining the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Turner, really excited to have you on the show today. You know, you've produced some of the most interesting content, I think, that's out there on making sense of what's really going on with consumer companies. And, you know, this is, of course, notable given all that's going on with TikTok, which which we'll dive pretty deeply in today's conversation. But before we do that, let's set the stage for, for folks listening in terms of a, a little bit on the history of social, right? So most, most listeners are familiar with the post-Facebook world. So let's start at the top level at Facebook and, and how we've evolved through to companies like TikTok. You know, talk a little bit about where we've been in social, what are the key characteristics, you know, that have really driven the winners in the space? Uh, yeah, so kind of starting with Facebook, uh, kind of at the top, they, I mean, they were kind of the big winner that emerged on PC. The whole product was basically designed around desktop. Uh, and for the most part, the product that they built the newsfeed where they're generating most of their revenue and cash flow from for the most part it worked on mobile uh, kind of the whole product kind of evolved around how much time can we get people to spend using this because uh, they ultimately monetize with ads which worked really well with their product because they got to know a lot about their users so they could target you with ads that made you want to buy things and they made a lot of money and and it works pretty well on mobile too. I mean, I think with mobile, it made it even harder to shop around. You're kind of a little bit more constrained in the feed. You take up the whole screen. Uh, so maybe when you're using Facebook on your computer, there's more distractions going on off at the side. You know, you've got. I think a lot of the big product they used on desktop was kind of the side ads. They're you know little pictures of the side of the feed versus on mobile, it was basically the full experience like the screen was entirely taken up by a feed where 50 percent of it was an ad uh, so it worked really well kind of the their incentives were to get you to spend as much time as possible on it and learn as much as they could about you to target you with ads uh, and then when you kind of think about the same thing with instagram you know that's it's a similar product it was just a feed you sort of told them what you liked based on who you followed they kind of they, they linked the product into your Facebook account. They had a lot of data on you. They had, I mean, the big thing was just your name and who you actually were, who you were friends with, uh, what kind of stuff you were interested in, liking, clicking on, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it gave them information that they could use to target you with ads. Uh, and I guess kind of the way we got to TikTok was, uh, I mean, it really, I think it really kind of started with, you know, it was probably around 2014, 15-ish. Vine took off, Snapchat stories took off. You basically have this concept of vertical video, just full screen video. Uh, and, you know, we've kind of always had video ads, whether it's on TV or, you know, internet video ads, like pre-rolls on, you know, a video on Yahoo Finance or CNN. 
It's always really annoying. Nobody wants to watch them. But if you could take that same concept with a full screen feed product, you know, you have someone's full attention on mobile, you could somehow design a video product that it took up the whole screen and people kind of just had to sit there and watch it. I think it's another very interesting ad unit. And it's also interesting for consumers too, watching videos on your phone of your friends or of interesting content, you know, it's kind of interesting. So you basically had Snapchat, Vine, kind of in the mid 2000s, mid 2010s, kind of started figuring out how to do these full screen products. And you had Instagram copied Snapchat in 2017. Uh, and they kind of did the same thing. They just, they took this stories concept where initially Snapchat stories had evolved from kind of this core use case on Snapchat of sending messages with the camera to people. So you're recording a video or taking a picture and you just you sent it to 10 people and then you also sent it to your story. Really easy to just, you know, plug it into this public thing that everyone sees. And, you know, you kind of do that a couple times throughout the day. You have five videos back to back that people can sit back and watch. Uh, and Instagram kind of took the exact same product and made it so that it kind of bolts on the top of the feed. Uh, and kind of the whole product was still centered around the feed, but they basically just shoved this full screen video product that was some bubbles at the top of the screen. Uh, they were kind of really still incentivized by how do we get people spending as much time as possible in the feed, but we know that full screen video ads are going to be an opportunity. So how do we start getting people to start spending time watching these full screen videos and stories? Uh, but if you really think about it at the end of the day, if you're going to make a full screen video product, why do you kind of have it as a side feature of a product that's focused on something else? And you could also say it wasn't a side feature. You could say it was super prominent. It was at the top of the screen. It was almost like they just didn't quite get it right. Uh, and a lot of the product that they, the stories, how it was designed, it was really focused around this concept of people that you followed, people you're friends with. Uh, kind of on you know you're building a social graph on facebook so that's kind of how instagram evolved and then in terms of talking about tiktok it was basically let's just design a product from the ground up built for full screen video uh, and, and there was a couple other companies that were kind of in this space i mean you could say vine was maybe precursor to tiktok something like mindy uh, musically, which became TikTok. There's a lot of people kind of doing this. Uh, but I think that's, it's kind of, we basically figured out and maybe we, you have more questions down the road, but we kind of like figured out how to get people to start using these full screen video products, which are probably more, uh, engaging and entertaining than maybe watching, reading text, scrolling through a screen. I think the lowest kind of the lowest common denominator or the average consumer probably just want some mind mindless entertainment and that's probably just a full screen video uh kind of th that kind of experience so it's it's interesting because if you look at facebook and tiktok and compare kind of the spectrum in between there's there's some pretty stark fundamental differences right both on the front end and the back end with respect to how the products are built and you were you were alluding to a, to a bunch of them right both on the front end and yep. the back end um, I want to start with the back end and some of the foundational differences there and, and hone in on one of the pieces you just commented on, which was this idea of a social graph, right? So talk a little bit more about, you know, that, that talk a little bit more about that concept, right? For one. And then um, secondly, as you expand on that, talk a little bit more about why that's such a foundational difference on the back end in terms of how these, how these products actually got built out. 
Yeah, so I think sort of some of the biggest differences between them, I would say social graph, like you said, uh, Facebook, a lot of its products have products have identity baked in, which is really good for its business model and the type of content that's posted. Uh, and then I think kind of just the DNA of being built around a feed and maybe originally designed for desktop. It just, you know, it's kind of affected how they've designed the rest of the product. It's still a good product. It just probably doesn't work quite as well for full screen video, just because there's just so many other priorities that the, that the people working on this product are battling and trying to get that attention and the, the time that people are spending on. Uh, so that's probably the, a lot of those things are things that ended up a lot of people try different things to kind of uh, pick apart at those weaknesses. And I think TikTok was the one that kind of won and it was basically, there's no social graph. So you don't need any friends. The app just figures out what you want. Um, so instead of kind of being tied down to, you know, you join Facebook, kind of Facebook in the early days, they had this kind of a growth strategy of try to get people to have seven friends because once they hit seven friends, there'll be enough content and there's a higher chance of the retention being really high because there'll always be a notification of somebody tagged you or somebody posts something interesting and you're enticed to come back the next day. So TikTok didn't need that. It was just, we just need to show people the best content. And if they know that TikTok has funny stuff or entertaining stuff, uh, interesting things so they can learn things, people will just keep coming back and kind of build a habit. Um, they also kind of did, everything was anonymous. So you didn't have to actually sign up. They knew probably just as much about you at the end of the day as Facebook did. Uh, because over time, Facebook really evolved from, you know, in the early days, they, you know, when you signed up, you'd tell it where you lived, your favorite movies, your favorite books, you know, you'd kind of fill out your profile, but Facebook just kind of knows that now. And TikTok just kind of skipped that step and just kind of knows what you like based on how you use the product. And that's kind of what all these, all these apps do. Uh, so that, that was another really big one. I think the fact that it was built for mobile. So it kind of let it skip that feed thing. You know, you didn't have to worry about, oh, we, we need to have people scrolling the feed still because our, our stories, our vertical video ad product isn't scaled up yet. So we can't have people just not use the feed anymore because our revenue will plummet and you know, we'll still tank the stock. Uh, so you kind of have these different priorities, whereas TikTok is just like, we need to get as many vertical video ad impressions as possible. You know, so they're just like, okay, let's just get people watching as many TikTok videos as they can. And that's the only thing that matters for them versus battling all these other priorities. So uh, that was definitely one of the biggest things. And I think on the front end more, so built for build, building for desktop, I think just having that DNA in a product. So another really big comp in my mind to TikTok is YouTube mm -hmm. uh, and kind of, I would say YouTube, it was, it was built in an age of desktop where you're shooting things landscape and everything's being shown landscape. And they've kind of evolved to really try to win TV. Uh, I mean, TikTok or Google has plenty of revenue coming from mobile, plenty of revenue coming from desktop. They're trying to get into TV. So TikTok, sorry, YouTube being a landscape fits right in on your TV. You know, you can kind of look up the data. YouTube's exploded on TV over the last couple of years. Everybody watches it on TV. But the product is, is horizontal. It's 20, they're 20 minute long videos. You know, they've got, there's an influencer. They spend the first two minutes of their video telling people to follow them on different channels and, you know, telling them about like their day. 
or, you know, something that happened in their life. And then they go into the content about redoing their room or arranging a flower bouquet or how to fix a car. Whereas on, on TikTok, the content, because it's all designed for mobile, it's all super short. Uh, so it kind of gives you a different type of product DNA where everything in there is just going to be interesting. The, there's no dead space, any of the content, super short. You're getting really quick hits. So if something's not interesting, you just flip to the next 10 second, 20 second, 30 second video, keep going through. Uh, those kind of changes on the front end actually made it easier for them to capture data and collect data on what people were, were interested in. So like, let's say on YouTube, you want to watch a 20 minute video. Okay, YouTube knows that you watch a 20 minute video about how to change a tire on a car versus on TikTok. In that 20 minutes, you probably watch 60 videos and they probably figured out, you know, you really like dogs. You really like things about the state that you live in. You know, you probably voted a certain way in the election. You probably like just all these different things that these different ad targeting products are built around. TikTok just figures them out really quickly. So it kind of gets you up to speed quick, which can target you with content. Uh, and then from an advertising perspective, you know, it's, it's just like Facebook, where if you, if you know what people are interested in, you could probably sell them ads. Uh, so that's kind of uh, probably the biggest differences between the back and the front end. I don't know if there's anything else you want me to kind of go a little bit deeper on there. No, I mean, I, I think the one of the interesting things is, and, and you're alluding to it and mentioning it, is I think if you, you know, if you use TikTok or you interact with TikTok, it's, it's completely eliminated friction, right? Um, yeah. you use the product versus using other social products. You can just, you can instantly jump in. And I think the things you were alluding to on the front end side, especially being built for mobile, right? The faster actual iteration loops, et cetera, um, it, it all adds to that and it adds to that elimination of friction. Um, yeah. The implications have been outstanding, right? And I, I want you, Turner, just to talk about at a high level, right? Some of the you know types of numbers, key metrics, et cetera, that just capture you know, the scale of, of TikTok and how well it's performing. Because, you know, I, I know certainly for someone like myself who's not a, I'd say a consumer kind of social first thinker, just actually popping in and, and relatively having a perspective on how fast the business is growing, how engaged users are, um, was actually, was, was astounding. Yeah, I think to kind of set the stage for understanding where they're at right now, you just kind of have to look at when they were musically and they were kind of being shopped around, different people were looking at buying them. You know, I mean, every major social company kind of looked at them. I mean, it's what happens with a lot of these deals. You know, someone ends up winning the deal, but, you know, Instagram talked to Twitter. Obviously, conversations were going on with other competitors, too. Facebook won it. Uh, but with music, you know, people were interested. You know, they they weren't this product with, you know, hundreds of millions of daily active users. What they had, you know, a couple tens, tens of millions of monthly users, and they were mostly uh people like attractive to targeter or to advertiser type of users that were in the U S and in Europe. So they were kind of valuable. Uh, but it really, you know, it wasn't a company that there wasn't a product that every, every single person in the developed world was using every day, like an Instagram or a Facebook. Um, you know, I think if you kind of look at the, if you look at a chart of kind of the time spent on Snapchat, the time spent on Instagram, the, the total time being spent on musically, it was like, was a rounding error for those. Like it was, an afterthought essentially. Um, so when they bought it, they basically kind of worked on getting the back end of Musically incorporated and sort of 
using all the same tools that they had built for the other products they had built and scaled in China. Uh, there's a, a product that is really similar to TikTok. It's basically China only. Uh, it's called uh, Douyin, and it's basically the same thing as TikTok, just a couple of years more developed. Um, and they had it, it's exactly like TikTok, you know, exactly what we just talked about. Douyin is exactly the same thing with super short videos, knows you really well. So they kind of took some of that targeting from TikTok, put it into Musically, and they they just kind of they basically use the the bite dance algorithms to say, okay, musically there's lip syncing. There's some good stuff on here. Some people use it. Some people enjoy watching lip syncing videos and creating lip syncing videos, but we're going to make it so that we'll figure out exactly what kind of lip syncing videos or whatever type of content on musically you're, we're going to find it and we're going to show it to you. Um, and you just kind of looked at how much time people are spending on the product. And it's kind of a typical, you look at a hockey stick chart growth, for a startup where it kind of slowly starts to get exponential and all of a sudden it just goes parabolic and ramps up. And the same thing happened with TikTok over the last two years was, you know, they basically, they took Musical.ly, they started layering in different forms of content. I think really the big thing they did right away was kind of make it like Vine. Um, if you remember or ever used Vine, it was basically a ironic, silly videos. It was just a lot of memes, like six, Vine was, Vines were six seconds. So it was a six second funny video of, you know, somebody running through a house and like jumping off a deck and like jumping into a pool. And like, it was funny or like they'd say something funny and kind of, they started going down that route where all the videos were kind of ironic and they were, the, the people started making jokes about the music dancers. And they, one of the big things on TikTok is you can do a duet where you basically, do a kind of a split screen where the original video is on one side and then you do your video on the other side and people would react to that. And if you remember YouTube in the early days, YouTube did a lot of these sort of reaction remix videos. Um, so they basically made it so that the existing content, you could start building on it. Um, then they did the same thing with audio. So if you kind of think about how musically worked lip syncing, it was basically audio as a format. That's what you're working with in your, you're making video content based on the same audio that everybody else is working with. So they kind of took some of those memes, some of those funny videos and people would make audio memes essentially where you take that audio instead of with memes, typically you take a video or you take a picture and you edit the picture. People were basically taking the audio and they were making videos around the audio. So it's, it was like lip syncing memes and you'd be reenacting memes. Uh, and this kind of built up this community. And then suddenly they started saying, Oh, we'll get, you know, people who draw pretty pictures of flowers or people who are painters or potters. We'll get people who make educational content about business or real estate or investing. We'll get people who talk about the news or, you know, just these layering in different forms of content. And you kind of have all these different things going and spinning all and kind of like a flywheel building on each other. And suddenly people are spending, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day on average. Uh, about a year later, uh, you kind of look at some of the statistics now, most recently. Um, so YouTube has kind of been around 80 minutes a day for certain demographics. You kind of look over during quarantine, kids were spending, kids under 15 spent as much time on TikTok as they were on YouTube. You kind of look at the total DAUs that, that TikTok had. Uh, I think it was 48. I think that's the last public number that's been released. Uh, and that's up from you know, a couple million two years ago. Um, and you look at kind of the time that people are spending in the, in the app. I think the last public number 
was something like 70 or 80 minutes a day per daily user. And if you, if you're familiar with Snapchat, they disclose that it's usually around 30. It's actually a little bit higher. It's probably closer to 40, you know, Instagram's in the forties, Facebook's about 50. So TikTok basically went from being this meaningless product to suddenly the people who use it are using it twice as much as they're using Instagram in a day. Uh, and you kind of look at the, the total amount of time that people are spending in, in these big developed markets like the U S and Europe and Australia, where Facebook generates most of its money because it's, it's an advertising business. So those users have disposable income to buy silly frivolous things from the feed. You know, the total time spent in these markets on TikTok is now basically at par with what Instagram has. So then you kind of think analysts are saying, Oh, you know, Instagram could be worth anywhere from 100 to 300 or 400 billion. And you're like, Holy cow. TikTok is suddenly in a position where, yeah, it's just extremely valuable internet property that like that's that people want to own or they want to get taken out and they want to ban them or then they want to like kneecap their competitors if, if you're competing against TikTok. So it's fascinating. So in terms of and, and some of the engagement too, I mean, you look at the total uh, session length, people using it, you know, you, I think the average time on Snapchat is about one sixth, one sixth as long as TikTok. TikTok is about double Instagram, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, so it just kind of shows with you open TikTok and you start using it, there's a lot of opportunities to, as a business, generate revenue if people are using your product for five minutes at a time instead of two minutes on Snapchat or you know two and a half minutes on Instagram. Uh, so, and, and all these numbers just kind of came up out of nowhere over the last two years you know they were slowly starting to get better and then over the last year they just kind of went parabolic um, and i think the thing that caught a lot of people a lot of experts off guard was you kind of look at some of their data you know their retention typically with social products you look at you know they're they're growing they're getting users but what's the retention you know if you acquire a user and then nine of those ten people drop off after seven days that's not very good um, and you look at what uh, TikTok did when they were growing. So they were owned by this massive Chinese company that had a ton of cash. They basically just said, okay, well, we're not Facebook with Instagram and we can't give traffic to Instagram for free like Facebook did. I think Facebook gave about 50 to 75% of the user growth to Instagram post acquisition. Most of it came from the Facebook feed. ByteDance basically said, okay, we're just going to buy ads and we're just going to spend like a billion dollars on paid ads and just people will download the product and, you know, they probably had, I think their retention in the early, early days was less than 10%. So they get, you know, people were making fun of TikTok, like, oh, you know, they had a hundred million downloads, but only 10 million people stuck around longer than a month. That's not very, it's not very good for a company that's that big and putting that much money in. Uh, but I think what that did is as TikTok was doing all these different things, trying to layer on the pro different types of content and kind of ramp up the product suddenly they went from only having you know a couple million DAUs suddenly oh now there's 10 million there's 15 uh, anyone who and so with this algorithm it was automatically giving you the content that you probably wanted if somebody stuck around and they were kind of sucked into this algorithm and you kind of saw interesting content there's a more likely chance you're, that that's going to happen when you're dumping in and you're acquiring a hundred million users instead of like 50,000 at a time. So they're just like, let's just target the world, get every single person who might be interested to download the product and get use what we have today. And then we'll start making it better. Um, so, and, and I think that kind of caught a lot of people off guard when you're looking at the data, you're like, okay, 
They're spending hundreds of millions of dollars a quarter on advertising and less than 10% of people are sticking around. These guys are like, this is the dumbest thing ever. Like this company, this product's going to fail. So that was kind of the consensus. Uh, and I think just the big growth that they saw was just completely unexpected for a lot of people. Uh, so anyways, I know that was a long kind of answer of how they got to where they're at, but I think it was interesting and just kind of a fascinating case study and just trying to understand how social products are built and kind of how they can come up out of nowhere. Well, I think it's, it's, um, it's really interesting the way you framed it, Turner, because, you know, I, I think there's a nuance in the way you're describing kind of TikTok, it's organic growth, et cetera, versus you know, Facebook and then acquiring an Instagram and, and how Instagram really grew after acquisition. And I think that nuance has a lot of interesting implications on business models and really durable advantage over time. I'm, I'm curious how, you know, a, a two-part question. One is, how do you classify TikTok, right? I'm not sure it's a social media company, right? That's, that's yeah. the first question, uh, yep. right? And, and I'm sure you have some thoughts there. And then the second is, you know, if you, if you kind of buy that premise and say it's not a social media company and it's, you know, X kind of company and you define it, um, there's obviously then a divergence in business model, right? And, and what that means for durable advantage over time, because it's not a, a me too social network, right? Yeah, I think in terms of how I would define it, it's probably not a social network, but maybe social media. Yeah. Uh, I think really the thing, the reason that TikTok is around is because it's a content network. It's basically, they have the best content. I mean, really one of the things they did, I didn't mention this earlier, but they made the best way to edit short videos on mobile. I mean, this whole lip syncing thing, the way they got that to work, they basically kind of made it what Musical.ly had even better. And just basically said, if you want to create a short video and post it on the internet, TikTok is the best app to create that video with. Um, and then what they did was they basically said, you can't download the videos unless you post it. So you have to post and then you can maybe go put it on Instagram or Twitter. But then what happens is, you know, they've got millions of people they're paying to come in. They're, they're paying for ads because they download the app and come in creators are creating videos on TikTok, posting on Instagram, but then people that were just kind of just on TikTok randomly didn't know about this creator, all of a sudden they're being shown these videos that the creator posted on TikTok, whether or not they really meant to or not. Maybe some people are actually creating for TikTok. Some people are just using it for the camera. Suddenly these creators are like, wow, I'm getting more views on TikTok than I am on Instagram. What the heck? This is cool. Like I'm going to keep using TikTok to make videos. Uh, and so I think having having it be the best place to you know create content made it so that as a consumer, as a user, you'll say, do I want to go on? Do I want to open up Instagram right now? Do I want to open up Facebook or do I want to open up TikTok or Twitter? You say, oh, I want to watch short, entertaining videos. Like I'll, I'll open up TikTok because I know it has the best. Um, so that's kind of the first the first part about how I think about it in terms of social, <laughs> like where it, where it kind of fits in. I think what TikTok showed us is that you can pay for distribution and pay to build up a social or a content platform. Uh, I mean, it's not really that different from if you're an HBO, if you're a Netflix and you're, or like a Disney plus, and you're just paying for content to tell people to, you know, Hey, we've, it's, it's a little bit different because they're, these are usually the people on our creators and individuals kind of creating UGC, uh, user generated content. 
but in a lot of cases, I mean, <laughs> TikTok did just straight up pay creators like, hey, we'll give you a hundred bucks for every video you make. Or I think the most common was, and a lot of these were done through influencer agencies. So it wasn't actually through TikTok, but they basically said, we'll give you $500 if you make five videos. And then that's kind of where that flywheel started. People would realize, oh, I'm getting more views on TikTok. I'll start using it. So if, if you can just come in and, you know, I think the product and the way you design it is super important. But if you can kickstart some of that with just paying money, you know, it kind of comes up where in my mind, it makes me think, okay, typically, it, you know, if I make a social media property, everybody's using it. I'm, I have my business. If somebody else can come in and just basically copy me and pay money to do the same thing. They're, they're probably, their margins are going to be a little bit lower. They're going to try to undercut me on price. So then I'm going to have to defend against them, whether that's reduce my pricing, whether that's spend more money to acquire more content to compete with them. The other competitors are just going to do the same thing, go a little bit lower. There might be more competitors that come in and say, oh, wow, this is cool. Short form video. Like we can pay creators to make videos and people will watch it. Like let's try it. Let's drop a couple million dollars and see what happens. I mean, you've, you've kind of seen that with, uh, like uh, Microsoft tried it with Mixer. They're like, let's pay Ninja $50 million to broadcast and make this Twitch competitor. It didn't work, but it's kind of when it comes to traditional media, that's basically what you're doing is you're just paying for content. So I think the beauty of social media and social products and social networks is you don't have to do that because your users are doing it for you and they're basically creating the content for free, essentially. Um, and you're kind of, relying on your users to recruit other users for you. I mean, that's kind of why UGC social media companies are so attractive when you get them at scale is because you don't have to quite, you don't have to pay any marketing because your users do it for you. Um, and you kind of, that starts to decay a little bit when you have to start paying for content. So it starts to make a look more of like a, like a media company. Uh, I think you still have, you're, you're not going to be like a traditional CBS where your margins are, you know, 10%. Because I think with digital advertising, just the way if you can make a self-serve product that everybody's going to be able to just hook their credit card into and use, basically copy what Facebook did, uh, your margins are going to be a little bit higher. But on that point too, it's like TikTok basically cloned and Snapchat before them basically cloned Facebook's ad tool. And Facebook kind of cloned Google's ad tool in a way too. So, you know, these are really interesting, powerful businesses. But if if you don't actually have a real differentiator over the long term so everybody's margins converge to zero over a long enough time frame um, so i've kind of thought you know if you have something where ugc can remains a core to what you're doing um, you don't have to pay for as much content and your margins are going to be higher uh, so yeah it's i don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it but i think definitely paying for everything that you do especially if you're a startup and you're trying to scale up like Probably, it's probably hard to compete against Netflix right now. How are you going to go out and acquire content, right? Like you'd have to figure out a hack and some kind of product hack to figure out how do you how do you compete against these big guys? So, how, how do you think about how do you think about reels, right? So Facebook started reels, um, and also obviously ostensibly to compete with TikTok. Um, yeah, but it's interesting because I think the outcome is going to be different than when it acquired Instagram, right? So. You know, the, the kind of political flavor of the month with the congressional hearings, the antitrust hearings has been, you know, 
Facebook buying Instagram was really putting a competitor out of business. I think that's a little disingenuous because I mean, there's so many, there's so many reports and so many clips of how everybody thought Facebook was absolutely insane when they bought Instagram for a billion dollars with 12 employees um, and basically yeah. revenue. And, and it turns out that it was like one of the best acquisitions of, of all time, right? Paralleling like a Google YouTube type acquisition. Um, yeah. and, and I think if you think about Instagram in general, it was a nice bolt on under the core Facebook business model, the identity, the DNA of the product. Um, I think when you think about Instagram stories and how they developed that to really combat Snapchat, I think the success of that was also being kind of one tier removed, I'd say, from kind of core Instagram um, in, in a way in which it was still able to compete effectively and still leave room for Snap. And, you know, that's I think that's a slightly different topic, but but it was able to really take advantage of its distribution and compete effectively. Um, yeah. But I, my sense, and, and Turner, I'm curious to hear your perspective because you're, you're more the expert on this than I, it just feels like the reels and TikTok kind of outcome is not going to be the same, right? I think when stories came out, it really put a damper on Snap's growth. And there was, there was you know, it, it really kind of came in. It, it almost to me is kind of like how Microsoft Teams came in and, you know, what it's doing or what it has done to Slack from a distribution perspective as well. Um, yep. many people that might've tried Slack don't even have the opportunity to, because it's native in the Microsoft office suite now. Um, like yeah. we, use, and, and Teams is a good product, right? Um, but it, it just feels like Reels and TikTok is, is going to be a little bit different. I, what, how do you, what, what's your perspective on that? Whoever at Facebook was able to convince the media that Reels was a TikTok killer is a genius because mm -hmm. <laughs> they're just totally different products. It, it was smart of them to brand it that way because you've got everybody thinking that Facebook has this TikTok killer kind of cooked up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you actually look at the product, it's it's not at all like what we talked about with TikTok. It's essentially what they, they're letting you make full screen vi vertical videos, which you're already doing in stories, and you can post them to a dedicated section and a whole new tab in your profile. So if you're if you're unfamiliar with Reels, it's basically, and if you're unfamiliar with Instagram, it's basically you open up Instagram, there's a feed, there's also a profile that you can go on, and in your profile it shows all the pictures and videos you've uploaded in one little tab, and then you've got another tab for maybe, if you're an influencer, for shopping or longer videos, and then also a picture you, that you've been tagged in. Reels is basically a new tab in your profile, and then maybe some of those videos will show up in the feed, which is kind of the, the core usage of, of Instagram. Uh, and then some of them might show up in this thing called the explore tab, which is sort of this, it originally started as search on Instagram. You know, you'd click this little search button and then you could search for somebody. And then eventually they started sourcing interesting content in there, probably similar to how TikTok does it, where they figure out what you like and what you're going to click on, what you spend time watching and show you more of it. And they're going to start sourcing these reels things in this grid of pictures and videos that shows up in the explore tab. Uh, so it's basically just another little product feature inside of Instagram. Uh, I think kind of the beauty of TikTok is if you kind of think about it as an influencer, you know, in 2016, you're on Snapchat, you're posting to some Snapchat followers, you have 50,000 people that follow you or 200,000 people that follow you on Snapchat. Snapchat's super unscalable. Like you have to approve everyone. Snapchat doesn't give you any priority. Like they don't care about you. Snapchat has never cared about influencers. And Instagram comes out and you're like, oh, I already have a million people that follow me on Instagram. I can do the same thing. I, like I can get a million views instead of 200,000. And, you know, if you're a Kim Kardashian, 
you're like, oh, I have 100 million people that follow me on Instagram. This is great. I can start selling beauty products over this now. Um, but then when you go and you see TikTok, you kind of think about how we talked about it earlier. If you're an influencer, you don't have to have any followers. You just post content. And if it's good, TikTok slowly shows, basically what TikTok does is it goes through these different waves of content sourcing where when someone creates something, it'll show it to 10 or 100 people, depending on how they react with it. And they do a lot of different things to determine this. And if someone likes it, you know, if they enjoyed watching it, and if it was good, if those first couple test people did well, they'll show it to more people. And then if it gets, and there's kind of another gate, and if it does well there, they'll open it up again. So as an influencer, you could create a video that like 50 million people see and, and you don't have to have any followers. So it's, it's kind of beautiful. Like the, basically the total people your, your content can reach is just all the users that are using the app. It's kind of insane. Uh, and that's kind of the beauty of TikTok. So when you think about reels, it's, it's still tied to your followers. Uh, it's kind of within your profile, it's within the feed. And then on the explore tab, you know, it's, it's there, it could be sourced to people. Um, but even the way TikTok works is, and especially the way Instagram Explorer works, they're still showing you things that are super hyper relevant to what you're interested in versus on TikTok, there will be certain videos that are kind of outside the scope of what you might've watched, but they have like 10 million views and they just think you'll like it. So they'll show it to you. Uh, I think Instagram will have to change their approach a little bit. I mean, so I think kind of wrapping up, I think it's a really interesting product and feature for Instagram. It will probably, <laughs> they'll probably be able to tout statistics like, oh, we have a hundred million daily users of reels or something, but it's basically people who like viewed a reel in the feed or viewed a reel in explore the explore tab. And these are already things people were doing. So it's kind of, it's going to be kind of like a vapor metric when they, disclose it i don't know and, and maybe there's probably ways they could go with it where you eventually rip it out into its own app but they they already had that before they had a sort of successful product that had you know i think it had over a million downloads in mexico called lasso which was literally just a tiktok clone um, so it's really interesting that they chose to go this route but yeah so anyways <laughs> i just think it's it's kind of silly that people are calling it a tiktok clone it's really not it's totally different uh, and it's just kind of amusing. Like I'm, I, I want to see how it does. I want to see how many users they can say that it has, and have blow the headline out and get people to talk, keep talking about how much of a, a TikTok killer it is. I think that was one of the really, you know, it, and I agree with you on the marketing point because I think that was one of the like, one of the really good things that Microsoft went hard at at Slack, right? I mean, there's so many graphs this oh, yeah. out of showing how DAUs, MAUs, kind of all that stuff were up into the right or minutes spent. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it can shape the, I often, I often kind of think back to like when SoftBank raised all the money they raise, like the age old debate in, in like venture capital and tech of, you know, can capital actually crown winners or, you know, organically, do you have to find, you know, companies that are going to win and source it with capital. And in some sense, I think what the Facebooks, the Microsofts, et cetera, of the world are, are trying to do is actually steer the narrative in a way in which folks actually yeah perceive it in that way. And if, if anything, I mean, you look at Microsoft and just on the rumors of acquiring TikTok for a going price of 30 billion, their market cap that day rose by 60 billion, right? So it's like, there's there's a very real, I think, capital markets and corp dev game, you know, to play there. Um, yeah. One of the things I'm, I'm really interested in, and it's a little bit of switching gears, but one of the things I've, I've been really interested in 
in terms of business models you see emerging in this space as reliance on identity, social graphs, et cetera, go down, right? Kind of what we've been talking about in line with TikTok yeah. is what are the other business models that start to come? So we talked a lot about ads, right? The traditional social network or, or ad-based yeah. companies, products, et cetera. What are the other types of permutations, possibilities, business models you start to see, right? In a world in which, you know, you, you see kind of these consumer media data type hybrid companies like TikToks, et cetera. Especially when we're talking about being able to hyper-target with data. I mean, I think commerce is probably one of the big ones we're going to see next. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it works well for Facebook. I think, I don't know if Facebook's ever given any data on how the marketplace is doing. Uh, but anecdotally, everything that I've heard and gathered, it's just, abs it's like going gangbusters. Uh, so, and that's basically because they, you know, you got to assume they're, incorporating instead of targeting you with ads or targeting you with Craigslist like secondhand type of goods in the Facebook marketplace. But then they're also now starting to lay in ads, layer in ads for, I mean, I think my wife was using it and I can't, it was like a big lots sponsored post for like a couch from big lots or something. And you get those from different brands in there. So I think they're going to start layering in more things like that, where you actually have, you know, it's like a, it's a shop or it's a store instead of just being a marketplace for secondhand goods. Um, and I think too, within Instagram, you know, there's kind of, I don't think this is like, everybody knows that they're launching Instagram shopping where you basically have, you can shop a post, you can tap on it and buy it. Uh, uh, doing in the TikTok Chinese version, shopping is embedded into every video. So we're going to get that in TikTok eventually too, where you basically have anything you make a video on. Like, I think... So kind of using my wife as an example, again, when she watches TikTok, all of hers are home design, gardening, art, uh, cool Amazon hacks or finds. And a lot of those things you could say, oh, cool Amazon hacks. Like I want to tap the video. I want to buy this product. This person just made a video about. Uh, and that's a lot of what you watch, like a lot of on YouTube. A lot of the ways that these people make money is they'll do a branded, you know, video with a a brand related to what they make content in uh, and sort of the, you know, it's this 20 minute video where, you know, maybe the brand is featured in 30 seconds of it and they get a mention or something. But I think with what we'll get to is basically like shoppable content. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm not going to be the person that tries to tell you the timing, but I think a lot of the big platforms are positioned pretty well there. I think subscription is a really interesting one. Um, and it's a way that, you can kind of get, you can battle the early uh, limitations you have from not having much scale. So for a company like Facebook, if you look at their financials right now, they make about $190 in revenue for each North American Facebook user. Uh, but that consists of both Facebook and Instagram. Instagram's about 30% of Facebook's revenue. Uh, so it probably means Facebook's making about $135 per North American uh, Facebook user per year, which is still really good. You kind of think about a subscription product. It's like, you know, I don't know what that is, 13 bucks a month or something. Like that's pretty good. And so as a, as a younger, smaller company or, or as a media company, you can offer things as a subscription, $10 each. I mean, that's annual revenue per user of $120. That's similar to what Facebook is getting. Uh, and you don't have to have the scale of having usually to launch some kind of advertising network. I mean, Facebook or TikTok just launched theirs uh, and it's likely they launched it because they passed 50 million in, in DAUs. 
Twitter fell below 50 million in North American DAUs and it's kind of the liquidity and the ad product wasn't quite there, but I, I think they, they've been, they've been ramping up a little bit more lately. So I think they're in a little bit of a better spot, but you basically need just a supply of viewers constantly if you want to do this programmatic ad product. So if you're a startup or, you know, a small media company, you have a thousand subscribers, no way you can launch like a really sophisticated ad network. So subscription works pretty well. Uh, so that's probably one of the big ones. Uh, I think another one that will, it's taken off a lot in China and projected to be like half of the Chinese live streaming market is tipping. Mm. Uh, so one of the really big things in China is live streaming. You can basically similar to shoppable content. A lot of these products you have uh, a housewife or housewife gone influencer or like a, you know, grown up, like what we think of as a social media influencer who's selling a, product over a live stream within a couple of these different Chinese social apps. And it can be anything from fruit to a household good, like a vacuum cleaner. It can be clothing or beauty products and you can buy things directly from the video. And it's kind of like, uh, what am I thinking of? Q QVC TV or something. Mm -hmm. uh, HQ TV. I think it's like the live shopping network here in the U S where you'd watch TV and you'd call in and you know, you'd order the product and, during the show, they'd be like, oh, there's only 63 left. Oh, Jake just called in. There's only 62 left. They're going fast. So it kind of simulates the same thing. So you can shop from live streams in China. Um, and if you kind of think about in the U.S., live streaming is getting more popular. That will probably hit here soon. Uh, but one of the things they're projecting is going to be really big in China is tipping on live streaming. Um, so it's basically, you know, a musician is going live singing a song and it's like a concert and you can tip them and you can either pay to get entry into the concert or during their stream. Like on TikTok, it's popular for these, I mean, a lot of them are kids, teenagers, college students, you know, they're 19 years old, they go live and they're just talking from their bedroom to their follower. You know, they have a thousand people join this live stream and people just give them money <laughs> or they'll ask requests, like do something or say something funny or, you know, that I think there's certain products around the world where you have this kind of live streaming component and you can pay to go live with the influencer or the person going live. Um, so kind of these different forms of tipping, um, which, you know, it's existed in, in different capacities in different industries before in like around the world. So uh, that's another one I think we'll probably see. Uh, you know, those are probably the big ones that really stick out to me is subscription, commerce, tipping. Uh, yeah. I think advertising will always be there and it's super attractive online. I mean, I don't think digital advertising will ever go away. It's, it's just that if you're trying to compete against a company like Facebook or Google and digital ads, I mean, good luck. It's just really hard. They just have so much scale. So it kind of makes more sense to go after them with different types of business models. Um, Cause kind of what we talked about earlier, it's, it's hard if you're, Instagram to say, oh, we want to get people to stop spending time scrolling the feed that is just this super high margin product that a lot of our advertisers are on auto pay, their credit cards are hooked up. And they say, if you can give us a 3x return on ad dollars, just just spend it. We don't care. Like, we just want to just make money. So just keep charging our card and just do it automatically. So it's hard for Instagram to say, hey, people watch this like live stream that we don't even know how much money we'll make from it instead of scrolling the feed. So it's kind of this internal battle. So 
a lot of these different emerging channels are always interesting for younger companies and emerging companies to do just because there's going to be less competition from the incumbents. And when they do compete, they're not going to be incentivized typically to, to figure them out. So. I think that's right. I, I also think, um, I also think when you think of these newer models and such, right, they, based on the way the product's built um, on the back end, on the front end, a lot of what we talked about today, it positions you to enter into or explore different types of business models, right? So it's going to be a lot harder to do e-commerce in kind of a traditional Facebook way, but TikTok starts to to build kind of interesting hooks um, into uh, into a foray into e-commerce. So when you think about TikTok, right, especially the front end side of it, I mean, it's the best media discovery engine of like all time, right? Um, yeah. And and if you think of kind of where that fits in the landscape, you know, previously you know, Google was the entry point for, for a lot of search. And you have companies like Amazon that are trying to disrupt it via voice, right? Um, mm-hmm. Companies like TikTok, another company in China, I'm sure many of our listeners have never heard about Pinduoduo, right? Are, are arguably positioned, you know, really well um, to disrupt search. How, how do you think about, if you think of the, the front end of, of these types of products, right? Um, yeah. How do you think about their entry into actual e-commerce, right? So the back end of an Amazon or so is incredibly challenging, right? It's a logistics business. There's a ton of scale to it. Uh, but oh, at the yeah. time, right, Amazon has talked publicly about how they intend to move product into different fulfillment centers, you know, based on your prior and purchase history. So how do you yeah. think this technology, both A, this technology, but then B, the positioning of some of these companies, you know, really to make a, make a splash in e-commerce? Yeah, I think that's the really interesting place that Shopify is in, where they've basically spent all this time aggregating the long tail of random people selling things on the internet. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're, you kind of got that with Facebook. I think Facebook has something like 8 million people currently placing ads on the platform, something like that, 8 million advertisers. So those are probably 8 million businesses. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, Facebook could probably help some of those people sell their products directly. Um, I actually don't know how many merchants are on Amazon. I could probably Google that right now while we're talking. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think you basically need to be able to figure out how can you get, how can you acquire the, uh, the, the supply and like the actual customers? And then how do you actually get them in a place to deliver things? So I mean, Shopify, a lot of it is, yeah, I can't figure out how many merchants Amazon has. Uh, but Shopify, you they're you know kind of letting the merchants do a lot of the work like they ship it out themselves um so i think you kind of think about what is what could facebook do facebook and, and instagram but like facebook's got the marketplace it's basically local people doing all the like work meeting up delivering products to each other uh when you shop from a brand store in facebook you know the brands shooting out of the warehouse so a lot of these are kind of really asset light where they don't actually own any of the supply chain behind it. Uh, yeah. I mean, same thing with Instagram. Instagram's pretty similar in that sense. Uh, I think TikTok will probably see uh, in terms of commerce, people selling things over live streams or shoppable videos. You'll probably see a lot. I mean, I really think we'll see a lot of partnerships with Shopify. I mean, that's what Facebook did with, with Facebook shops, I believe just mm. linked in the Shopify supply. So I think Shopify is in a really, I mean, I think one of the more interesting mergers would be a Shopify TikTok because they, they kind of get all those together. I just, 
the price tag is too high for both of those companies. It just doesn't make any sense, but it would be interesting if one of them owned the other one. Uh, yeah, I think the, and any other ones like YouTube, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. You've got sort of an affiliate model or some sort of, you know, you know, buying from the video. Uh, I think the problem with a lot of these products is their content is all, and, and their, their, hist their historical and then their content creation tools are not really made towards and cater towards creating shoppable commercial videos, if that makes any sense. Uh, so I think there's opportunities to be able to, like, and they'll probably change their tools, but if you can figure out how to create a product that actually entices everything to be shoppable, kind of, you know, the people who are creating content, they're creating it with the, in, with the uh, sort of DNA of shopping, like built into the way they created the product, if that makes any sense. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's it. I, I think it's going to be a lot of these big players just win. There might be one, one kind of new one that emerges, uh, but I don't think it will be like, you know, Facebook can't figure out social commerce. Like, or probably figure it out. They've got they've got a lot of resources and a lot of money and a lot of distribution of people. So, how do you in in kind of the spirit of talking about interesting combinations of companies and and M and A? Yep. How do you you know the big news of the past few weeks? Of course, is the potential ban on TikTok in the U.S. Um, you know, Microsoft emerging as a potential acquirer. How, how do you wrap your head around that acquisition? Uh, I think it, it's if Microsoft can make it work. I think it would be really interesting. Uh, that's a big if. I mean, I think they have a history of bundling or sorry, of fumbling acquisitions in the past, especially in sort of the consumer space. Uh, that said, though, they do have a recent track record of being able to do that very well. Um, and I just kind of think about it. I think right now Microsoft is number four in the digital ad market in the U.S. Yeah, I know. Like, no, I don't know anyone who uses Bing, but <laughs> I think it does like eight billion in revenue or something. But I mean, I think I had a conversation. I was having a conversation with someone on the podcast and I remember I, I made a comment of, of something to the tune of, you know, um, when you're developing a product, especially in a winner take all, you know, you have to be the best, right? Like and Google and search was the canonical example, right? You have to use the best search yeah. engine. Um, I remember I got corrected because the person was basically essentially to this point was like, actually, you know, it turns out that if you're the third, you know, best search engine, like a Bing. Yeah. Turns out you're making ten billion a year in revenue. Yeah, I I don't actually know how many people use Bing. I just remember I remember seeing. I was like, oh wow, this is actually a pretty big business for Microsoft. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, I mean, they do have an advertising product, and I just kind of wonder, can can they basically use the TikTok product to make Bing search better? You know, it took a long time for Google to do this, but tying in YouTube and Google search together, making a cohesive profile that they're targeting you with. They're hitting more real estate with how, like, how many times they can hit you with an ad. Uh, so I kind of, you kind of wonder. It's kind of funny to think Bing could be like a serious anything, but who knows? I mean, it's an interesting tie-up. Uh, I think you kind of think about LinkedIn and its targeting too. I mean, they they do a lot of advertising. I think a lot of people have made the joke like, oh, TikToks are coming to LinkedIn. Like, I don't think that's going to happen, but. <laughs> It is just, you know, they just have a pretty big ecosystem of all these different things that they're touching. Yeah. And I do think that TikTok on its own is worth a lot of money, probably more than the 30 billion. So Microsoft's getting a good deal as long as they don't mess it up. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's an, it's an interesting 
debate on should it be banned, should they be allowed to be sold, uh, how exactly do you rip out TikTok from China? I have no idea, by the way. That's not anything I know anything about. I would just I would just assume it's possible. <laughs> well, there just was leave really, it up to other people. There was a really interesting piece I was reading, which was basically talking about how, you know, the internal estimates I think that were floated to the White House were, you know, the a, a, a precursor to the deal would be that within a year all the code would be removed from China and stored um, in the U.S. And and I think some like off the record folks from Microsoft were speaking or technical experts were speaking and saying it's like not it's just like not technically possible to pull 15 million lines of code like and strip that out in a cohesive way within one year. And their realistic estimate was more along the lines of like four to six years. Right. So it's going to be, I, I think it, I agree. It's going to be really interesting to see how that actually, how that actually pans out. Um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, Turner, as we, as we round out the conversation, I'm curious as to your thoughts on, you know, pick the time frame, right. Whether it's two years, five years, 10 years, you know, as we, as we kind of look back, let's say from, let's, let's say five years, let's say, as we look back kind of five years from now, I'm curious from your perspective, what you think is going to be, what you think is going to be the biggest unlock or insight on these types of businesses that that might look obvious in hindsight, kind of like a, you know, congressional antitrust hearing where we say, you know, it was always destined that Instagram was going to be successful. Um, I'm curious what you think is going to be that kind of unlock or insight um, in the future that today is is pretty controversial or, you know, unclear. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll say it, I'll probably get in trouble for saying it, and a lot of people don't agree with me on this, but I mean, I kind of just think Instagram is a Frankenstein of a product. Mm. Uh, same, I mean, same with Facebook. I just, I feel like if I'm a startup or if I'm a VC, I'm investing in things that take advantage of these companies having so many of these products, having so many things going on and so many competing priorities. Uh, you know, I don't know if looking back, five five years in the future but i think maybe 10 years in the future kind of the further out you go i just think it's more likely that we say you know man there is an opportunity to build a competitor to instagram core facebook etc and we didn't realize it um, but when you kind of look at some of the data facebook you know they're not really growing with any of their properties they're, they're just not really growing anymore in the u.s and kind of these developed markets that you know they're growing like one percent a quarter um, you know, the total time spent that people are using in these products is kind of fluctuating. It'll go down in some periods and then maybe recover a little bit, but it's not like they're growing exponentially. So when you kind of say, I mean, TikTok just came out of nowhere and it's like just as significant with a lot of demographics within really a year and a half, maybe, maybe closer to two years now, you know, I think there's going to be more opportunities and we're just going to see more of these social media properties that literally grew up from nothing and just came out of nowhere and they're suddenly just as big as Instagram or as big as, as TikTok again. Uh, we're a little, I think we're a little bit over indexing too much on new audio and new video tools and then maybe under indexing on just the fact that there's an opportunity to build big social products that can be just as big as Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. Uh, so hopefully that was fun answer. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it, de it definitely was, and and Turner, this is a this has been a really interesting conversation. I'm glad you were able to make the time. It uh it it was, as as I mentioned to you before, I've really enjoyed reading your pieces, you know, on consumer media and just you know the way you think about it. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how you know some of these stories in the near term, like TikTok, play out, and then you know over the next 
three to five years, how some of those predictions play out as well. So thanks again, you know, for joining us. Really enjoyed having you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk to you later.